lift up thine eyes unto the north, and I will lift up my eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Amen. Thank you, Judy. God is good. You know, um, we say that, don't we? Uh, we say it, and it's an automatic response. I could say that in any church, and everyone says, yes, all the time. And it's true. Some have a very real knowledge of that, have a real experience of that. Some are saying it in hope. Some are saying it in hope that, boy, I, <laughs> I hope God is good. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. And God has either established hope in you or is in the process of putting hope in you or is causing you to seek hope, to find it. But Psalm 121 that uh, Judy read there, it's saying regardless of what the circumstances look like, I am in control. I am with you. I am guiding you. It's a promise that God is making. And um, and don't be uh, don't be somehow uh, made to feel less than because you're having a hard time believing that. You're having a hard time experiencing that, but it is the truth. That's why we come to church. That's why we come here every week to be reminded of the truth when everything that the whole week has told us has probably been an awful lot different than what we're hearing right now. But God is making a promise to us that he is watching over us day and night. And he doesn't slumber. He's not going to let our foot slip. How many have felt your foot has slipped? You know? Feels like a big old slip going on now. But the fact is, you know when you slip, you eventually hit solid ground, right? And you get your balance back again. And sometimes we slip. Doesn't mean we have to fall down. Doesn't mean that we have to give up and just fall down. But the solid ground will come. God is good. God is good. God is good. Life is hard. Life is not always good. Jesus said, in this life you will have struggle and turmoil and trouble. And boy, the whole rest of the New Testament proves that, doesn't it? That there is a war going on and there is a struggle. doesn't mean you can't be without joy because Jesus said that you also will have joy. And sometimes 
we're on the journey of discovering joy. Sometimes it's not always so instantaneous. But there are moments of joy in it. But at the same time, so often, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If God's full kingdom and every blessing associated with it was on the earth right now, why would Jesus say that prayer? Because it is the kingdom now and yet. If you, all you people who listen to a lot of theologians and a lot of sermons, you've heard that before. It is that mystery that the kingdom of God is here. Yes, it's very mysterious, the kingdom of God. Sometimes it feels like they're saying it's inside of us. Jesus said it's inside of us. Other times it can be around us. But nonetheless, the fullness of it and everything that the kingdom of God is and offers us is yet to come. So we, we shouldn't get too miscombobulated about the fact that we're not experiencing the full measure of the kingdom because we're not going to until we get there. But we can experience bits of it. We can have moments of it. We can have the strength of it and the hope of it and the faith of it. And that all comes to us through the, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how it comes to us. spoke that, Pastor, um, the Lord brings me back to, on a consistent basis, what Thomas said, when the Lord come back, and the first purchase of that was, the Lord was here, and Thomas said, unless I see, unless I put my hand mm. into the wound, I will not believe, yeah. not I cannot, I will not believe, mm. and then he said, when he saw him, put your hands into the holes in the hands, put your fingers into the side, and believe. And he said, oh, my Lord and my God. He said, you have seen and you have believed. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're doing, isn't it? When we get up and we come to church every Sunday, when you say your prayers, when you believe against adversity, when you hope against hope, when you uh, trust, when you follow uh, God's way of living and way of speaking and thinking and, and handling yourself when everything is maybe saying that that's craziness. That is believing without seeing. We're trusting in a kingdom yet to come. And you know what's interesting about Thomas? Jesus prayed. He went up and he prayed. And he came down and he picked his 12. Prayed all night. And then he came down, had the word of God, and he picked the 12. He picked Judas. He picked Peter. He picked Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Terrified Peter. Betraying Judas. Either that was an unsuccessful night of prayer, <laughs> or it was the divine hand of God. Because God was willing to work with Peter. He was willing to work with Thomas. He was willing to work with everyone. Judas chose another route. But all those disciples had incredible failures and incredible weaknesses. But God didn't disqualify them because of that. He picked Thomas. And Jesus didn't kick Thomas out of the, out of the family because he wouldn't believe. And he really didn't believe. He was angry. I'm not going to believe any of this. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to believe what you guys are saying. 
until God shows me. <laughs> what does do Peter? God shows up through the room, comes through a wall, and comes in and says, here. And if God can do that for Thomas, because he loves him, I guess he can do it for you. And he did it for Gideon. Gideon was terrified. Three or four times God came and spoke to him or gave him a, some kind of a sign or something. God's with us. God knows what we're made out of. He knows what we need. So one thing just before I start into the message I was thinking about this week. Think about your life before you met Christ. Okay? Think about the way you were speaking, the way you were acting, the way you were thinking, um, what the motivations of your life were. And when you're really running dry on what to thank God about, just think of what your life would have been 40, 50, 60 years of that, of the way we were before God met us, before God came and said, uh, you're going this way and you're going into a ditch, I want you to go this way. Before God made that correction, if I was thinking about it, Keith, if you'd have lived the life that you were living, the mess, the, the unbridled mess it would have been with the booze and all the confusion and all the mess that, that my life was in, boy, we can thank God. When we think that we're maybe not that good, think of what you would have been without Christ. When you're feeling bad about yourself, looking in the mirror, saying, I failed this week, and why did I say that, do that, think that, want that, look at that, you just remember, well, listen, imagine what you would have been if you, haven't, if you didn't have Jesus. Because Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is guiding us in a direction, and that's what I want to talk about today. Um, Holy Spirit, come, please, I pray. Oh, God, please. Come and bring your word, Father. Give us a heart to hear it. Give me a heart to speak it. And let it be filled with your anointing so that it becomes life to us. Amen. We talked about Hezekiah last week. A uh, great story about Hezekiah and God delivering Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, one of the greatest of all the kings of uh, Judah. Um, really, they say, some people say, one of the greatest of them all. And we're continuing his story. And we're continuing it in Second Chronicles 32, 31. And it says, however, when ambassadors arrived from Babylon to ask about the remarkable events that had taken place in the land, God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him and to see what was really in his heart. I, you know what? I don't think I ever saw that piece of scripture in the Bible before <laughs> until I read it two weeks ago. And I went, say what? God withdrew from Hezekiah. I said, oh, well, now we've got to know what that's all about. I mean, there's something in that. And so that, with that word withdrew is the same word used when Jesus was on the cross, said, Father, Father, why have you abandoned me? It's the same word. It's that same type of situation. Now, you and I know that God is never going to leave us nor forsake us. So the meaning of the word almost is, and we know that Jesus was not truly abandoned by God. He felt abandoned because his father stepped away from him for this period of time, withdrew his presence. I don't know the totality of it all, but we know that there was a separation because Jesus said there was. Why have you abandoned me? That's the way he was feeling. 
but it was for a purpose, a divine purpose, so that you and I could be saved, so that he could bear the sins of the world. But what it seems to be saying that God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him is that somehow our godly decisions and responses to life are somehow influenced by God guiding, speaking, and protecting us, somehow motivating us, somehow turning us in the right direction, somehow correcting us about to do something really stupid. That's why we're different now than we were before we met Christ because there is this force, there is this presence, it's called the Holy Spirit, that is in us that goes, you know, should you really be doing that? Or, or here's, gives, how many of you read the Bible before you came to faith? And it's wah, 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 wah. It makes no sense. It's Charlie Brown's teacher. It's just making no sense. But all of a sudden, you come to a point of in your life where you want God to come into your life, and you make that transactional thing and say, Christ, come into my life. Well, all of a sudden, what happens? That Bible comes alive. All of a sudden, it starts making sense. How many of you have your first? I lost my first Bible, but... I remember it, everything was underlined. And then I'd have things underlined three times because that was really important. And I looked, I can remember the last time I looked at it, it was just, just a blaze of red ink because everything was coming alive. It was like fireworks. And all of a sudden it was making sense to me. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the presence of God leading us into the knowledge of Him, leading us into righteousness. There's a couple of points about this. Two events happened at this time for Hezekiah. First, Hezekiah had been attacked by Assyria. We talked about that last week. God defeated them. There's 185,000 Assyrian soldiers killed in one night. That's a major case of COVID. That's a major case of COVID right there. Something happened and 80, 185,000 soldiers were dead. Assyria went back to uh, their land and that was the end of them. Also, at the same time, while this was happening, talk about Hezekiah having a bad day. Hezekiah had an illness come upon him that the Lord miraculously healed. Some of you know the story about that. He had a boil. They call it a boil. But some, uh, uh, some of the research I looked at said it might have been a septic boil that was going to kill him. And the prophet actually came and said, you're going to die. Get your house in order. You're going to die. And he walked out. And by the time he got down to the courtyard, God had spoken to him again because Hezekiah had done something. He had turned to the wall and cried to God. And God came up and said, I'm going to give you 15 more years. I don't know what he was thinking at year 14. But, <laughs> but anyway, he had 15 years come to him. And something really amazing, God even again, because God is so merciful. God said, I'm going to give you a sign. And he said, I'm going to make the sundial go back 10 steps because they told the time by the, the sun on a, a, a solid object, and as the sun moved, you know what I'm talking about, you can hear sundial, yeah, blah, sundial. And it just went back. God gave them 10 extra days or 10 extra hours and just moved it back. Well, this got the attention of the Babylonians. The Babylonians worshiped the sun god, and they're also enemies with Assyria. So... They came to visit Hezekiah, and they want to find out, first of all, how did you defeat the Assyrians? Because you didn't even have to fight. And second of all, what's going on with that sun, with the sun god? Because they, they worship the sun god, a god called Shamash. I think I have a picture of it there, Liz. That's the next. Yeah, there he is. There he is. 
sitting on his throne. And that's the Assyrian god, sun god. And they worshipped him. And they're saying, wait a minute. <laughs> Why is our god speaking to you? He's only supposed to speak to us. And he's speaking to you and doing these things. So they were pretty interested in what was going on with Hezekiah at this time. Second Kings tells us more about their visit. And this is where it gets interesting. Second Kings 20 verses 12 to 19. Soon after this, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah his best wishes and a gift, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been very sick. Hezekiah received the Babylonian envoys and showed them everything in his treasure, houses, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the aromatic oils. He also took them to see his armory and showed them everything in his royal treasury. There was nothing in his palace or kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked him this question. What did those men want? Oh, they were, and where were they from? Hezekiah replied, they came from the distant land of Babylon. Oh, the distant land of Babylon to come and see me, right? <laughs> the prophet said, well, listen to this message from the Lord. Isaiah asked, uh, Oh, no, back one. What did they see in your palace? And, I, and Isaiah asked him, they saw everything. Hezekiah replied, I showed them everything I own, all my royal treasuries. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, listen to this message from the Lord. <laughs> the time is coming when everything in your palace, all the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs who will serve the palace of Babylon's king. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, this message you have given me from the Lord is good. <laughs> For the king was thinking, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. God had left Hezekiah during this visit. He had with, he withdrew whatever God's conscience, his spirit, his influence Whatever that is on us, whatever it was on Hezekiah, because remember, the kings are anointed by the prophet. They are anointed with the oil in the presence of God. So they are believed to be walking with the presence and the discernment of God. You remember that uh, Saul, or uh, yeah, Saul, when he was anointed, he started to prophesy. And he was given a different heart. Something changes in the king. We, you and I get it when we receive Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit and our heart changes. There's a change that happens in us. Some of you need a change. Some people watching at home need a change. We all need a change. And sometimes it's the initial change of salvation and sometimes 40 years down the road, you need a change. And God is still in that business of changing things. But that real character of Hezekiah was, God just went, okay, let's see what's going to happen here. It can al also, uh, if you say a New Testament example of this, the enemy wanted to sift Peter. Now, the enemy knew something about Peter that maybe Peter didn't know about himself. But it's something that God wanted Peter to know about himself. And God just stepped away. And he and remember, Satan had to, be a he had to ask permission. He had to ask for it. But God gave him permission to sift Peter. And it's for a reason, because Peter discovered something and he repented deeply about it. But it's that same type of thing. 
there's probably a few reasons why someone might go to the length that Hezekiah went to to show off his possessions, to brag and try and earn prestige and awe from his friends from Babylon. Of course, what is that pride? And we see it in verse 15. What did they see in your palace, Isaiah asked. They saw everything, Hezekiah replied. I showed them everything I own, all my royal treasuries, everything I own. My treasuries. How soon we forget. How soon we forget from where our blessings flow. Man, oh man, how quickly. Not that God gave, right? This is a good lesson for us. He might have been doing it to intimidate them and cause them to fear or respect him because of his great military prowess and his wealth. I was talking to um, a friend of mine who is a, a fighter pilot. He's a Christian. And um, he was talking about when he was in Iraq. Uh, and he was relaying a story. I, I think this has a little bit of, you know, one of those stories that, got morphed along the way and it has an, a nugget of truth but the way he relied uh, told it to me is that in Afghanistan when they the Americans and the allies went in there to try to free that country um, they showed the lead Taliban people all of their armaments all of their tanks all of their weapons all of their boom, you know trying to let them know you're crazy to resist us and the Taliban said something back to them, which has become very famous now. They said, well, you have the watches. We have the time. And they waited. And what does the Taliban all have now? All the armaments and everything left by the Americans, they all have it now. Right? So in trying to intimidate your enemy by bragging about yourself at the expense of forgetting God's part in that and humility in less than a hundred years Babylon came and took Judah away into captivity in less than a hundred years that's like less than like some people live long enough to go from non-captivity to captivity whatever Hezekiah's character weakness was God withdrew in order to reveal it Chronicles tells us how now, this is good, though. Listen, this is Chronicles. You have to jump all over Scripture between Isaiah, Kings, and Chronicles to get the full story of Hezekiah. took me two weeks to get these pieces all together. But Second Chronicles tells us something good about how Hezekiah handled this rebuke from Isaiah. But Hezekiah did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown him, and he became proud. So the Lord's anger came against him and against Judah and Jerusalem. Everyone got it. Because the king was doing what he was doing. Then Hezekiah humbled himself and repented of his pride, as did the people of Jerusalem. So the Lord's anger did not fall on them during Hezekiah's lifetime. So at least Hezekiah humbled himself and he got in front of the people because he had to tell the people what went on and asked them to repent with him. Now that's humility. See the combination? We are good. We are evil. We are strong. We are weak. We have pride. We have humility. We, have, we are a, a complex mix of things. 
And God understands that. He's in the process of weaving through and, and picking out what needs to be picked out and moving stuff around. He wasn't about to just jettison Hezekiah because Hezekiah did something very important. He humbled himself and he repented. Two things happened here. The prophet came and revealed his sin. So was that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a good thing. So remember that the next time somebody comes up to you and says, I just need to tell you about something about your character. Right? I just want to explain to you that you hurt my feelings. I just want to explain to you that I think the way you're speaking and behaving is not appropriate for what you say you believe. I think, and you know who does this the most? Our spouses. People get divorced over it. It's serious. We don't like being told we're wrong. We don't like having the hot iron of truth put up against our face. We don't like that. We really don't. We'll fight it tooth and nail. Humility is something that's learned. It really is. But so the next time someone is saying something to you and it's, ooh, right? Just remember, this is a good thing. It's a good thing. Be and the next thing happened, Hezekiah repented as did all of Israel or Jerusalem. God's revealing of our flawed character is not for our destruction. It is not for our destruction. It's for our redemption. Everything God does is for our redemption. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter how much sense it doesn't make. It doesn't matter how unfair it seems. It is happening because God is trying to redeem something in us. God is never trying to destroy us. That's what the enemy wanted to do to Peter. But Jesus came in and said, whoops, Daisy, I'm praying for you, Peter. I'm going to catch you. Said Peter, that Jesus prayed for Peter. Said, don't worry, I prayed. And the fact is God's praying for you. But everything that happens, you may come up against some crazy stuff. You may have been caught in real sin. You, God may be showing you some really bad stuff about yourself that you just need to go and do whatever you have to do about it, but it is not to destroy you. It is not so that you will hide away in a hole. It is not so that we can sit in a corner like a scolded child. That is not the God we serve. The God we serve is, is, is this. Someone putting their arm around your shoulder saying, come here, I, I just need to show you something. There's something you need to see. And I want to show it to you because I want to help you with it. Can there be consequences? Yes, there can be consequences. I hate that. But the fact of the matter is, I guarantee you that God has mitigated. He has lessened. He has uh, protected a lot of us from the consequences we might deserve. But nonetheless, God is doing everything for redemption. If someone wrongs you and it causes you to be a feel a certain way and just go, that is because God is trying to speak something in. Is he, is he, did he orchestrate all that? I don't know. We don't know these things. But what we do know is he works them when they happen. He's in them when they happen. And it is for redemption that this happens. There's scriptural basis for, for Deuteronomy 8, 2 to 6. And we're almost finished. This is beautiful stuff, though. 
Deuteronomy 8, 2 to 6. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years. This is God leading Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Humbling you and testing you to prove your character. And to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. That's crazy. Because God already knows. So who really needs to know here? We do. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry. Mm. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. God will supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus. And that is true. Unless there's something he can he can use it and cause us to see something, look for something, try to understand something. I mean, the Apostle Paul said that he went without enough clothing, without enough food, in danger from Christians, from non-Christians, from his own people, the Jews. And then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. So there was something in it that God was doing, right? Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. When everything else doesn't make any sense, when everything else seems to be going to hell in the proverbial handbag, and it's not making any sense, you've prayed, it's not got better, the things are this, and da, 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 we rely on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We go to the word. And what the word tells us. For all these 40 years, your clothes did not wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. It's beautiful. Fearing him is respecting him. The last thing God wants is you cowering from him. I saw the most the most terrible thing happened yesterday. Well, it'd be so dramatic, but it was terrible. I was driving in the passenger side of a car, and we were stopped, and there was a bus stop right over there. Uh, it was up in Spryfield, and there were these two people who I'd worked with in New Life Center. We had every drug addict, every marginalized broken human being in the north end come through our church over that 14 years with the meals and the Thursday night Bible studies for street people that we did. I know it when I see it. There are two people there. They're in their 40s. They look like they're in their 60s. Tons of drugs. You could see it. You can just, you just see it. And it really bothers me even now to think about it. I caught the eye of the woman and as we pulled out I just kind of looked at her, and she was looking at me, and then she went. And it just, it just broke me. I just said, I said, oh, Father, I'm so sorry because I made her feel shame. <laughs> I looked at her, and I made her feel shame. And um, it just really hit me. I said, Father, I pray for her and forgive me for looking at her and causing her to feel shame. That's never the way God wants you to, to feel. He doesn't want you to feel that way. 
she never looks at you. She must have been feeling judgment or something. I don't know what she felt, but it was enough that it made her literally put her hand up and hide her face and turn away. God never wants us to do that. God is saying, come to me. There was something about Jesus that would make people like that come to him. They would flock to him. I pray we have the same effect on people. All of this happened to the Israelites so that God could teach them something. He's doing it for our own good. Why does he allow tests and allow us to all of a sudden, you know, you've all done it where you've walked away. I can't believe I just said that. Or I I can't believe I just did that. And one of the commentaries put it this way. He wishes to make something known that is to provide an opportunity for people to show heartfelt repentance. God tests in order to refine, to stimulate repentance and deepen faith. Refining, we think refining is a, a brutal process. It's not always a brutal process. Sometimes it's just God shining, adding a little heat. Sometimes it can be very hard, but it's always done because God is determined to turn you into the image of Jesus Christ. He will finish the good work that he has begun, which is the creation of Christ in you and in me. And sometimes it can come really, it can come in really, really hard places and in really, really hard ways. But it's again done for the purpose of redemption so that we can, you know, Israel originally was on the earth to display God. And when they did it right, the world responded because Queen Sheba, that's her name, right? Came all the way from Northern Africa because what? They heard about Solomon. The Babylonians came all the way from Babylon. It was like a four-month trek because they heard about the miracles of Hezekiah. And during David's reign and during Solomon's reign, Israel was known all over that world as having some kind of special status. And that's what we're supposed to be. People are supposed to say, what about that Margaret? There's something different about her. I mean, we say this all the time, don't we? But it is the truth. There's something different about that person. There's something different. There's something different. I pray that we, we, we show that. That's why we have to be so careful. I won't rabbit hole on this, but we have to be so careful what we do in public, especially now. Especially now. I'm telling you the most powerful thing you have is your silence right now your peaceful silence to just walk through this gauntlet that the division of COVID has created. There'll be a time, trust me, there will be a time when you and I will need to get a placard and we'll need to stand and we'll need to say, no, no, we do not agree with that. But right now, just quietly we go along. Finally, when Paul sent the letter to the Corinthians and uh, it's 2 Corinthians 7, 8 to 13. Um, it says, I am not sorry that I sent this severe letter to you, 
though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurts you, but because the pain caused to you, to that caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. See, that's why, that's why it comes. That woman had earthly, worldly shame and sorrow. That's not what God wants us to have. He wants us to be able to come to him and say, Lord, I come to the throne of mercy. That throne, I come to that throne that Jesus opened up for us to come to. I don't know what you may today have to bring to that throne of mercy. It is a throne of redemption, forgiveness, mercy, healing. I don't know what you may have to bring to that today. People watching that may have things that they need to bring, that you need to bring. But what we are hearing this morning is God is saying, I've allowed you to see what you're seeing. I've allowed you to feel what you're feeling about yourself, even though it may be hard and even though it may be difficult. But I'm doing it because I want to redeem it and sanctify it and turn that part of you into yet another piece that belongs to me because we're in process. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So, Father, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for the profoundness of it the mystery of it, and the wonderful gift of it, Father God. And I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ that, Father God, you would rise up within us right now, Holy Spirit, show us if there's anything we need to bring to the mercy seat, anything we need to bring to you, maybe something we've been hiding, maybe something we've been afraid to face, maybe something we've been afraid to admit father god but today you were saying that you are a redeeming god that you are a god who loves us and that christ has taken everything on his back through his stripes and has taken it to the cross for us and now all there is is healing all there is is redemption sanctification and deliverance so holy spirit bring it to our mind right now and as we just sit for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to bring whatever it might be, as you see it, as you feel it, just stand and we're going to have a prayer.
as we stand here today and I join the people standing, Father. And we first of all thank you for the blood of Jesus that has taken away the sins of the world. That, Father, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because, Father, you have chosen us and you have chosen to forgive us. And today you are choosing to redeem us. You are choosing to redeem this thing that we are bringing to you. Father, as we stand here, we pray that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would come in and give us strength to take this and to give it to you today, tomorrow, and next day. To trust that you love us in spite of it. To trust that you are walking with us regardless and that you are working this out in our life. We receive your forgiveness anew and afresh today. We receive it and remember that we are cleansed, sanctified, justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we stand here giving you whatever it is that may be represented here this morning, we are cleansed. That Father God, we are now in the power of the Spirit and resurrection. And we just lay this thing at the foot of the cross and we leave it there. And Father, I just pronounce your love, your grace and mercy over your people. If there is any action required, Father, I pray you speak to us. If there is anything that needs to be done, any acts of repentance, then Father, we are willing and open to whatever it is that you may decide we need to do. But Father, we do what Hezekiah did. We humble ourselves in front of you today. We repent. We ask your forgiveness. And Father God, we call on you, Holy Spirit, to come and fill this space within our heart and our lives and make us new once again. As you said, Jesus, you have come to make all things new. We thank you in Jesus' name. God is good. It's the way we start it. It's a good time for an offering. Father, we, we take up an offering now and we thank you for the gift that it is to be able to give back to you. We pray that you would use it, multiply it, and allow us to be a blessing through it. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs>